Hey you guys, welcome to the Maine and Magic Podcast, your stop for all things Disney. I'm your host, Dawn Brown, and this is episode number 12. Whether you're adventuring in the parks or at home via Disney Entertainment, I'm here to bring you the guests and info that'll pixie dust your experience, and we're picking up lots of new friends along the way. You can catch the links to our audio recordings via our website at mainandmagic.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Just search for the Main and Magic Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Main and Magic, and after the show, we invite you to join our community on Facebook to share your thoughts about each topic and to connect with other Disney fans. Today we're talking about extinct Walt Disney World attractions that we miss. As we approach WDW's 50th anniversary, it's hard not to look back at some of the attractions we've loved and lost along the way. The attractions that shaped our childhoods, gave us loads of memories, and even became soundtracks to our lives. We cover a wide gamut of favorites from wild rides, illuminated spectacles, and even a pre-show that might have made you cry. So join us on the red car trolley as we take a ride to the crossroads of Maine and Magic. Welcome aboard, everybody. This episode, we are going to be talking about extinct Walt Disney World attractions that we miss. And of course, joining me is Katie Fisher from Pictures and Postcards Travel. And she's actually the one who came up with this topic idea. And I was immediately excited about it. And I know you were too, because you had to cut your list way down. (laughs) I did. Hi, everybody. (laughs) I sure did have to cut my list. I've learned, though, like looking through all this stuff and most of the stuff was from memory. And I started going through like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I learned that. I don't like change at all. <laughs> like, not that Disney's bad now, but man, I wish I missed some of these things. There's, I miss some of the stuff. Oh, same here. And it's funny because we initially said we'll each choose five things <laughs> and it'll be like our top five. And then you told me that you had 16 things on your list and I was already into the double digits. So we settled on 10 each. So maybe this will be another two part episode. I don't know. We'll see how long it goes. Um, but it was super fun to just like, I kind of went through in my head and just whatever was off the top of my head, I made a note of, and then I, I even told you I made the mistake of just like looking at lists of extinct things in in the parks because now we obviously were coming up on the 50th anniversary. So over the course of 50 years, so many things have come and gone. Yeah. And it it you're right. It was like, oh, I remember that, but it was only there for a couple of years. So if you only went once a year, every other year, you might have only seen it two or three times. Yeah, you know, but then it it just jogs your memory. And so, yeah. Okay. Well, okay. We're going to jump right in because who knows how long this episode is even going to (laughs) be. 
Um, but I'm going to have you go first because you came up with the idea and guests go first. All right. So I'm going to start with my number one. Like, I want stuff to come back and, you know, I get a change. But my number one thing I absolutely miss, you're going to laugh, is Tarzan Rocks. So <laughs> it was my absolute absolute favorite thing so this started at animal kingdom in july of 1999 um and it closed in january of 2006 they called it the the two worlds tour and it was basically all the songs from tarzan which i am absolutely one of those people that jams out to phil collins in the car like the Tarzan soundtrack. So it was all the songs from Tarzan and it had acrobatics and rollerblading and tricks. And it was kind of like a skate park on stage and just singing along. And I loved it. And when I was a cast member, I would go on my days off. Almost every day off I had, I would go to animal kingdom. I knew the times I would go to animal kingdom watch Tarzan rocks and then leave and go about the rest of my day. But I loved this show. I have it on my dad found a DVD of it. I sit and I watch the DVD every so often. It is man, I really miss it. So it was actually when it closed right now for anybody that has never seen Tarzan rocks, but you've been to animal kingdom recently, the finding Nemo stage show has taken over Tarzan rocks. And, and I, the finding and, Nemo stage show is incredible. See, and I'm not a fan of the finding Nemo show, but I'm partial to the Tarzan rocks like way of how it was. Well, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually a pretty good show. I I liked it. I enjoyed it. I didn't have the... But I, I'm also kind of ho-hum on the movie. Like, I don't not like it. And if it's on TV, I'll watch it. And, you know, um, I'd love to, like, see those characters in the park. They're like, they used to be out sporadically sometimes in like Adventureland. Mm -hmm. um but you know it would be cool to see them but yeah i don't know if i don't know that they come out anymore maybe except for special occasions but yeah uh, you know and yes the soundtrack is really good so it just it's kind of one of those movies that fell in the middle for me um you know, it's not Beauty and the Beast and Lilo and Stitch level for me, but yeah. it's not, you know, the yeah. Black Cauldron. <laughs> like, it's but, not in the toilet bottom of, like, the Disney movies either. The Tarzan is actually in my top five favorite Disney movies. It's, it's, I, I've, I've always liked it. I don't know. It's, and I mean, let's, you know, we're. Tarzan wasn't bad to look at either when you're sitting there for 30 minutes. So, <laughs> oh yeah, 20, you know, whatever we were, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, yeah, like this is fine. Yeah. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. No, but I do love. I I did enjoy it. Um, but I there's 
the Finding Nemo stage show is so good, but that's another thing for another episode. So, wow, you just went right for the number one thing, huh? Okay. My number one. Yes, I I absolutely did. (laughs) Okay, well, I mean, I guess I'm looking at my list now and I'm thinking maybe I should go for my number one thing. I, but I almost, I actually have two things that are tied for number one, so I'm just going to pick one. I bet I know what one of those two is. I'm sure that you do. <laughs> Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yep, that's what I knew you were going to say. <laughs> I miss this ride with all of my being. I think it's probably the weirdest Disney ride that ever existed. <laughs> um. It was so okay. So this was an opening day attraction. So uh, October first, nineteen seventy one, and again, it's from a double feature that came out in nineteen forty nine. It was called The Adventures of Ichabod and Mister Toad. So the the first half of the movie, if you will, was Mister Toad, and it was kind of like based on stories from wind in the willows. And then the second half of the movie was, uh, the headless horseman. Um, and it, he, so Mr. Toad is like obsessed with driving a motor car and that's what this ride is. So there is one at Disneyland and it still exists, but it's not as good. And they actually used the ride at Disneyland. Like they, people were so into it. And it was so popular there. They were like, okay, we're going to redo this ride at Magic Kingdom for the park opening, but we're going to make it better. So they actually added two tracks. So the Disneyland one only has one track. The Magic Kingdom one had two tracks. And it each track had its own boarding area. And each track had slightly different scenes. So there would be some scenes in track A that were not in track B and vice versa. So... You'd, you'd have to go on it twice, really, to get the whole... It was like two different rides, basically. Um, and there was one point in the ride where the tracks were like aimed at each other. So it looked like you were going to crash into the car on the other track. Which, <laughs> and it was, you know, it was, a, it was a dark ride, like a Disney dark ride. But it was not like a Disney dark ride because a lot of the... Most of the Disney dark rides, like you think about Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh that replaced it, and um, like Cinder or um, Snow White, and some of those other rides that were around. They're very slow moving, but this one was like really jerky. It really was a wild ride, mm-hmm. um, and but it was it was such a crazy ride because in the movie, like. The movie was a little bit creepy. <laughs> so the ride was too. And like, there's a part in the ride where you go to hell, which the fact that they were like, yeah, let's put this ride in where you go to hell <laughs> for a minute in one of the, in one of the ride scenes, like this is super family friendly. We should definitely do this. <laughs> I, who knows what, was going through the Imagineers' minds, mm-hmm. uh, but I loved it. Um, and like I said, when either Pooh replaced it, um, it closed uh, September seventh, nineteen ninety eight, and 
this was kind of a big deal because people got really, really upset because this was the best version of the ride. Like people thought if you're going to close this ride, close the one at Disneyland. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't, and I don't know why they chose to do that. Um, and I also, it's very curious because there's a toad hall restaurant at Disneyland Paris. And considering that a significant amount of the traffic at Disneyland Paris is from, you know, Great Britain, uh, England, um, and Mr. Toad, like the wind in the willows and Mr. Toad is like based in the English countryside. Like why didn't they, if they were going to dismantle the ride, why not move it to Disneyland Paris? But they didn't do that. So you can only go on it at Disneyland and it's just not as good. (laughs) It's just not as good. And I Uh, remember going on it maybe once or twice. I I don't have a lot of memories of it. And and I think there's a lot of people that it's, they have the same experience. Like they went to Disney as kids. They could have gone on it a bunch of times, but it doesn't really stick out to them. But I think maybe if you didn't see the film, it wouldn't stick as much. And I was like obsessed with that, with that film. So, um, yeah, but yeah, so there was things that were different from the one at Disneyland, like initially where Disneyland just had like kind of like 2D flat cutouts for a lot of the like scenery and characters in the actual ride. And when they built it at Disney World, they just they went with a three dimensional, like three dimensional details and characters. But they've since upgraded the one at Disneyland. So it's, you know, it's a little bit better than than it's than its original opening day but there are some you know things still scattered about the park the imagineers left us a few consolation prizes we did yeah so if you go on the winnie the pooh ride there is a painting in the ride of toad and moly which is one of his friends in the film there's a, also a painting of toad an owl where toad is handing over the deed to toad hall to owl and there's a little statue of toad in the pet cemetery at the haunted mansion so that's right i forgot about that one so that's that's kind of one of my number ones the other one i'll save maybe for last all right okay where which one is your uh, next on your list Spectral magic. Oh, you stole mine. (laughs) Is it your other number one? No, it's not my other number one, but it is on my list. Okay. So I think part of spectral, I, okay. Spectral magic um, came in. It replaced the main street electrical parade and it ran from 1991 till 1999 when the main street electrical parade reclaimed its parade claimed its route and took back over for a couple of years and then spectro magic came back in in 2001 and ran for nine more years and now there are no nighttime parades at all and i think part of missing spectro magic is that there's 
no parades, period. And I kind of miss that. Like, I, I really enjoyed sitting and watching the fireworks and then going and getting a spot and sitting and watching the parade. And um, we we saw Spectro Magic the first time we ever went to Disney. And I, part of it has that childhood memory in there. Like, I can remember at the very end when Chip and Dale are in their light-up, you know, coats and they're on the piano bench sliding back and forth playing the piano and the clowns in the very beginning that sat on these huge balls and just like spun around on the top and I can always remember my dad saying I'm gonna get a job in Disney and be that clown on top of the ball like it was just I don't know the parade the music for it was amazing it was it was just a perfect way to end the night at Magic Kingdom Oh yeah. I, and that was one of the, that was one of the things off the top of my head that I thought of right away was Spectrum Magic because I can still hear the music in my head. Me too. But yeah, that was like our childhood nighttime parade was Spectrum Magic. Right. And that was, I was actually reading about it because I was like, I know I have pictures from both parades mm-hmm. but I know I remembered the spectral magic one because of the music um, and I also remembered that Jiminy Cricket was the narrator and Main Street Electrical Parade didn't ha- really have a, a narrator um, but I so I looked it up and actually spectral magic was brought on as part of the 20th anniversary celebration mm-hmm. so it it did it did replace Main Street Electrical Parade. They sent that to Disneyland Paris because that park was opening. Well, it was zero Disney at the time, so they're like, "Well, we got this new park opening. We'll send Main Street Electrical Parade over there, so they have something." And then they brought in this new one, and yeah, okay, those guys on top of the balls. So <laughs> they were they actually have a name. They're called Spectral Men. Okay. Those guys were creepy to me because they were giving me like, like creepy, like porcelain doll face, like vibe. And I was kind of like, this is a little weird. (laughs) It was, it was, and part of it, like at one point, who is is it? Goofy, I think Goofy and Donald paint it. And then all of a sudden, like all at once, everything goes from white lights to everything turns colored. Oh yeah, that's right. No, I, I remember that. I think it was Donald and Goofy that had the paint because Chip and Dale were definitely on the piano. Like, yeah, they I, were on the piano. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was Donald and Goofy that painted the parade. And they had like just insane floats. Like yeah. I remember really the Ursula one really yeah. stuck out. Um, it was just this giant Ursula with like, Obviously, there's, like, a guy sitting inside of it, <laughs> driving it, but it literally looks like Ursula, like, floating down the street, but she's, yeah. like, made out of lights. Yeah. Um, and they had a lot of characters in there that were not, you didn't normally see them. Yeah, there were a lot. Brer, uh, Brer, Brer Bear and Brer Fox were in it. Yeah, Three Little Pigs. Um, now... Do you remember the big, I don't know, it was not, my gosh, it was like the big volcano, like the big dragon. Oh, not, it wasn't a dragon. 
but it was like the big monster and he like opened up his wings and then he closed them back up and like formed a big volcano or mountain. Oh, Jensen. Jensen. Okay, thank you. From Fantasia. That's it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was in it. It was an awesome parade. It was so good. Yeah. I, I loved the, uh, and they had like, it was like sections. So they'd have, I remember like one section was the little mermaid. So there would be like a bunch of little fish floats. Yep. And then like the bigger one that had, you know, and then the Ursula float and then the big one that had Ariel on it. And then, um, yeah, there was like different, like five different sections for the parade. And I always loved the one with Cinderella because she's like in the carriage with Prince Charming and like the whole thing is lit up and her dress was lit up. And yeah. The music, though, I just, I, I just, I, it's in my head still. Shining, shimmering, carouseling, like, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it for you because I have a terrible singing voice, but yeah, it's in my head. Oh, I just, I miss, I miss the, I definitely, I wish they would bring back nighttime parades because that was just to, everyone, you know, sits and goes and, and waits for if it's me and over an hour for the, the nighttime show, if it's Dan, it's three minutes before it starts because he's a pain in my butt. Um, like we have to go get a spot, but you know, people now will never know the, the hurry up. And now you're standing in the middle of main street to watch the fireworks. Okay. Part like the red sea and get on the sidewalks. Cause the parade's coming. <laughs> like, no, I totally, yeah. Because we used to do the same because it was usually like, the parade and then the fireworks were, you know, whatever, 40 minutes or 45 minutes later, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're just like, wherever you are, you just watch the parade and then you go get in a spot for the fireworks. Like it was just like the best way to spend the night. Yep. <laughs> Cause you, even if you're standing, it's still like relaxing to just yeah. like not yeah. be fighting with crowds and stuff. But yeah. So that, that was kind of a bummer because it, it was flipping back and forth with Main Street Electrical Parade like multiple times. Right. So when it, sh- so the last time it shut down was June 4th of 2010. And I think really a lot of us just expected, you know, Main Street Electrical Parade to come back and then it'll flip back to Spectral Magic because that's what they do. They just keep fl- flipping back and forth. But Back in like 2013, Disney said, you know, we've permanently retired the parade after there was like, there was like a rumor going around that the floats had been dismantled. And then Disney was like, yeah, we, we've permanently canceled it. So maybe sometime in the future, we'll get something cool again like that. I don't know. Maybe we can hope. Yes. I I hope so. All right, what's what's next on your list? All right, because now I'm because since you came up with that one, and now I feel like I have to do this other one because I'm afraid you're going to steal this one too. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> it's just beautiful mine. So I'm going over to MGM Studios, yep. Disney MGM Studios, yep. and. We're talking about the Osborne Family Festival of Lights. 
Yep, you definitely stole mine. <laughs> did you write? Did you have that on your list? It was one of my sixteen. <laughs> great minds, great minds. Okay, Bye. okay. So this thing has such an interesting story, and I'm not going to get into every single detail right now because really it could have its own show. Yeah. I didn't realize how deep the story of this whole thing goes, but it debuted for the 1995 holiday season. And some of the, just like some of the backstory was in 1986, this guy named Jennings Osborne was asked by his daughter to decorate their house for Christmas. So he like put up a thousand Christmas lights, which is kind of a lot, but also not that much. Well, he started like adding to the display each year, but like he was adding a lot. And eventually he had like a huge light up globe and a 70 foot Christmas tree. Like it was insane. Well, the neighbors started getting mad because there was news crews coming. There was all kinds of traffic and crowds. So a bunch of his neighbors got together and sued him. Well, long story short, eventually he took his argument to the Supreme Court of Arkansas and the United States Supreme Court. Like, this is all over some Christmas lights. Crazy. There's like a whole, there's a whole lot involved in that story. But there was a project director at Walt Disney World that heard about the whole thing on the news. And he reached out to the family to see if they'd be willing to move their display over to Disney MGM Studios residential street area, which was part of the backlot tram tour. And they said yes. So basically, when it was on residential street, they would shut the backlot tram tour down at like sunset. So then people could go back there and like enjoy the light show. But I... I know that I got to do it at least once mm -hmm. when it was on residential street, but like, of course, Disney was like, well, we're going to plus this, you know, like we have all this stuff from this guy, but they ended up adding their own stuff each year and they ended up, you know, in the end it was, it had over like 5 million lights. And so from, 1995 through the 2003 holiday season, it was on Residential Street. In 2004, they moved it to the Streets of America, which is where I mostly saw it. And then they added snow machines. So if oh, you, yes, um, so you got to like have snope, <laughs> Disney <Nope>. snow, <laughs> um, Tom. and and they and they renamed it they they added um in 2006 they renamed it to Asborn family spectacle of dancing lights because they added some dimmer switches that like let the imagineers basically choreograph the lights to christmas music which kind of gave it a quote-unquote dancing effect hence the spectacle of dancing lights um and that went all the way through, and the last show was January 6, 2016. And because, of course, they tore down that whole area, which is now Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> but 
do you remember, I know you did this because it was there on our college program. I, I remember they used to give us like these paper the glasses paper. that I, were like 3D. Yeah. And when you look at the lights, it would make them look like snowmen or snowflakes or yeah. stars or whatever the thing was that year. They still have. So I, yes, I do remember those. Uh, I don't have a pair from the Osborne lights, but I do have two pairs that I got um, one a couple of years ago when I went down for the, my travel program. And then I got another pair last year. Um, you can actually, you can't purchase them anywhere, but there is a way to get them. If you do in-room gifting, you can buy a pair through in-room gifting and they have little Mickey heads now. So if you watch the fireworks, you can see them, but yes, I do remember the glasses. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, that whole, that whole back area was really cool. And then they ended up donating donating, um, most of the lights to the Give Kids the World Village. So um, for anyone who doesn't know about Give Kids the World Village, um, it's where uh, it's um, the village in Kissimmee, which is used for um, like Make-A-Wish and things like that, where they would stay. So um, yeah, they like basically help kids with yes. life-threatening diseases have yeah. free vacations in Orlando. Yeah, so um, it is not the Make-A-Wish program, but it's you know where it's similar to that. Without getting into all that, but so anyone who knows about Give Kids the World, that is where most of the lights went for their uh, Night of a Million Lights event that they use. So yes, yeah. So they they didn't go to waste, so no. that's good. Yes. That's okay, a, so that that was mine. That's a good one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna do one of my lower scale here ones, like bottom of the list, but I still miss it. Um, and I'm hoping maybe I'm wrong and it's on some super secret menu and I'll let everybody know in like 39 days when I eat there. But at the 50s Primetime Diner, they used to have a gigantic s'more. <laughs> they don't <gasps> anymore. I remember that. So 50s Primetime Diner, if anyone has is looking for a place to go for somewhere to eat you're at Hollywood Studios, uh, 50s Primetime Diner is probably one of my favorite restaurants. It is home-cooked meals. It's obviously 50s style. So, you know, you go in, you can sit at dad's bar and you have all your aunts and uncles serving you and uh, it's 50 style, so keep in mind, you know, back then, phones aren't on the table and your elbows are off the table and you better eat all your meal if you want to look at the dessert menu. And um, it, they they have a lot of fun with it. It's a good time. But at the end, when you get your, when you want to look at the dessert menu, they give you a Viewmaster. And in the Viewmaster is this gigantic s'more. I mean, it's the size of a dinner plate. And it's just... It's a s'more. It's delicious. And every time I went to the restaurant, I would order it. And it is no longer there. And I'm sad about this. <laughs> and it wouldn't be a Dawn and Katie show without talking about food in Disney. So <laughs> I, I was just going to commend you on our, our show that's extinct attractions that we miss. <laughs> that you found a way to make food an attraction. 
<laughs> so <laughs> bravo. attraction, <laughs> but it's still missing, and they need to bring it back. I mean, how hard is it to have graham crackers, marshmallow, and chocolate? I I don't think I ever had it, but I remember it being there because I never made it past the burger and the peanut butter and jelly <laughs> shake. Like by then, I was way too full. There was no way dessert was happening. Oh man, I yeah, it was amazing. So it was this, it's a small, corny little one. I know it's not an attraction, but it's still it's inside of an attraction because technically, technically, even though it's a restaurant, it's still you know attracting you to go and eat so there we go <laughs> all right it but yeah the the, the 50s primetime cafe is still there and <laughs> i highly recommend it it's a great yeah. restaurant yes it's a great restaurant and it is still there correct all right well i'll go with one of my dorky picks <laughs> so this will be a fun blast from the past the rainbow corridor which was part of the Imageworks play area in the Imagination Pavilion. I this is this is my this is my 80s rainbow bright loving <laughs> little tushy. <laughs> so <laughs> this thing, okay. The tunnel was there when the park opened, so 1982. Um like I said, it was part of the Imageworks play area, which was on the second floor of the Imagination Pavilion in that glass pyramid, which is now a DVC lounge, which sucks for everyone that's not a DVC member. <laughs> um, and it was part of this, like, part of the Imageworks area that was, like, sensory. So... And it was just this tunnel and it had lights. You walked through, you walked through this tunnel, it has lights that were, were like rainbow colored. And it was like, I don't know. It was just, I just very vividly remember going through it. And it was supposed to, like you were supposed to be like issued a color when you walked in and then that color would follow you through the tunnel. So if you were yellow, then the yellow light would follow you as you walked through like the rainbow of lights, basically. But it didn't really work right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they just put it on this thing called cascade mode. So it just like the rainbow just kind of like moved through the tunnel. Um, It's hard to explain. Like you need to go see a video of it, but basically just, just the rainbow of light moved through the tunnel it wasn't even that long of a tunnel like i don't know how maybe it was like 40 feet long or something i don't it wasn't that long but when i was you know six or seven or whatever i was like what is this magic <laughs> and i just wish it was still there like they closed it in 1992 so i you know it's been gone for a really long time and it's been dismantled and like pieces of it are now at the Walt Disney archives and who knows where the rest of it is. And, but yeah, I, I miss the rainbow corridor. I I know I've seen pictures of it. I'm looking it up as you're talking about it. I have seen pictures. I, it was closed before I went the first time. So I don't remember it. Huh? That's a good one. That's yeah. That's pretty cool. 
Can you imagine how epic that would be now with the technology that there is now? Oh, yeah. They should totally bring it back and make it a thing. Yeah, I agree. What's next on your list? All right. Um, where to, where to, uh, how, I'm going to go with, uh, all right. So it's kind of honey. I shrunk the audience, but I mostly miss honey. I shrunk the audience because of the pre-show. So the 3d show itself, it was really cool. I loved a good 3d show. It was definitely up there as of all the 3d shows you could see at all the disney parks it was probably yeah it was probably my favorite one back in the day but the pre-show so uh, it ran from 1994 to 2010 is when honey i shrunk the audience was there it replaced captain eo which then captain eo took it back uh which starred michael jackson um now it is if you go now it is the um uh, the Pixar shorts. It's right next to where Figment is. So it was sponsored by Kodak though. And it was just, it was in the imagination building. So it kind of had Kodak and pictures and the whole idea of imagination and letting your imagination guide you. And if you want, I, I explaining it is not going to do justice. So what I need everyone to do is just go to YouTube and look up the How Do I Shrunk the Audience Kodak pre-show. It's like four minutes long. It is just, it's inspirational kind of. And when you're a kid and you're looking at this going, wow, that's really cool. I, I just, I really missed that. And, you know, I sit here and I think now of the, all the pre-shows. Because Disney is, it's not like going to a regular theme park. It's not like going to Six Flags or anything where you go on a ride and then it's over. Everything is an attraction. Um, everything is a show and there's a story behind everything and there aren't really any good pre-shows anymore. I I mean, just off the top of my head, I can't think of a good pre-show that I really can't wait to go and see the pre-show. So I really miss that. It was a good pre-show and like, you want to see me cry? (laughs) I, I was trying not to say that. I really was like, if you need a good cry, go watch it. And I can't, I think that's part of the reason why I can't talk about it because not going to lie, every time I watch it, I tear up, I cry. It's, it's good. Yeah. Like you want to just feel better about yourself. Right. <laughs> Go in here, listen to what Cindy Lauper is singing to you. Yeah. And <laughs> so it is in the, the whole pre-show was played. It was the film was to true colors. So let that sink in about that song. And yeah, I missed that. Yeah, I agree. It was the best pre-show. It was. Great. And then you go in and you see this show. You honey, <laughs> I shrunk the audience and it's just like right, yeah. five minutes ago I was crying and now it's <laughs> now <laughs> like chaos. My legs. <laughs> oh, it was, I mean, it was a fun, it was definitely an interactive not interactive, but it was it was a pr- it was a pretty good 3D show. When it oh came- yeah, I'll see if I can find a video, uh, a good video on YouTube, and I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, should. I'm sure I have one saved on my computer somewhere. My dad actually. So, sometime in the 2000s, my dad, obviously with his video camera, knew how much I loved the show, 
videotaped it for me. And I have the video, the, it's not even a real, it's not a VHS videotape. It's one of the ones that they redid. That's like these little smaller than a cassette tape, but thicker. And the, there's nothing that can play this thing anymore. But I have, I have the show on from a video camera. I have no idea how to change it over onto a DVD or anything like that. I'm sure I can, but yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, you might be able to send that off to like legacy box or one of those. You'll have to check what media they can convert, but there's definitely somebody that can convert that for you. Yeah. I'll have to look into that. Yes. All right. Where do you got next? Okay, man. I'm just going to stay here. Okay. okay. We're going to yep. stay in imagination. Yep. And we're going to talk about journey into imagination. Oh, yes. So back in episode two, when we were talking about our early Disney memories, I remember mm-hmm. I told you, cause you, you had brought this up and I was like, I don't remember that. But then I was like, in my mind, I was remembering certain things from the ride. So I went and watched a ride through video because guys, dads with video cameras, you know, (laughs) hauling those things around in the 90s. So I watched a ride through video and I was like, I remember all of this. I don't remember meeting Dreamfinder and Figment, but so many people that went on the ride are like insisting that he was like there when you got off the ride and you could meet him anytime. And he was always, I don't remember that. So I think I was, and also there's been so many iterations of the ride now over the course of our lives. So I think I was just confusing it. But when I was watching the ride through video, I was like, I remember this. And I immediately remembered how irate (laughs) I was when I went with my mom in 2000, we went for the millennium celebration and they had the, the new updated version. And we got off that ride and we were like, that is bull crap. Mm -hmm. And It barely had figment in it, and it was trash. So my next one is Journey into the Imagination, the original version, which opened March 3rd, 1983, and went all the way up until October 10th of 1998. So this is my childhood version of this ride. Yep. And if you didn't get to ride this version... You need to get the to the YouTube <laughs> and watch a ride through video. So there was this character called Dreamfinder, and you know, basically the ride is like he uses his dream mobile to collect dreams and ideas, and then you can use those to create all kinds of new things. This version was replaced in 1999. And part of this, this is another like long story and maybe we'll do a separate show just on this pavilion at some point in the future because you were mentioning the pre-show for the Kodak pre-show before part of the reason that this ride got changed is Kodak's fault because they were trying to keep their sponsorship like Fujifilm was trying to move in on sponsorship in the pavilion and Kodak wanted to completely tear the ride out and put in a thrill ride. And Disney was like, no, we're not going to do that. It was this whole big thing. So 
anyway, they made this new version. It only lasted two years. It was total crap. Everybody hated it. It barely had figment in it at all. Even <laughs> even Michael Eisner was like, no, we got this. This has, this has to go. This is we can't keep this. <laughs> so the latest version that we have now started in 2002. And when you see like watching the original version and like jogging my memory I was immediately like, because up until I watched that ride through video, I was like, this version is so cute. And now I'm just like, this version is, okay, let me put it in the words of Tony Baxter, the original like ride designer. He said, it's a sham of an attraction. I kind of agree with that, (laughs) which makes me sad. I don't look on a scale of one to 10. I'm not giving it a one. It it's like a five, but the other the other version that only lasted two years was like a negative twenty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it it just to me, and you might have thoughts about this, but to me, the original version was way more inspiring and like whimsical, and it was like based more in how different art forms can be inspiring whereas now they're just they're just taking your senses and it's kind of like what does your imagination do in relation to your senses versus what ideas can you come up with to make something entirely new yeah so it's like so how does the world around you affect your imagination Instead of going the other direction and saying, how can your imagination affect the world around you? And I feel like the original version was like, how can you use your imagination to affect the world around you? Which to me is way more inspiring and like, oh my God, I can like literally do anything. And this one's just kind of like, what do you think about when you hear the sound of a train? It's so sad. (laughs) No, I agree. I mean, like, we are a figment household and we love figment. Uh, I will be sad if he ever goes away, but I definitely, the, the attraction, the, uh, after the attraction, just all the, it was a whole, you know, now you go on figment, it's a five minute wait and then you're done. You're in the pavilion afterwards and you jump on the rug that has instruments and, depending where you're standing, plays an instrument. And then you use your hands to play the trumpet with figment. And then that's it. Like back in the day, I mean, we've definitely talked about this on previous shows where we have video where it was like green screen and just all that different kinds of things where you're on the green screen and you're, you're seeing how things are and your imagination with this. And it was definitely more of, it, it took a, it's, you were spending time in there and actually appreciating it. Yeah. Yep. It, it just, I want to go back and there, mm, there's rumblings, rumblings doesn't mean anything, but there are rumblings that maybe Dreamfinder could come around again because apparently there is a comic, like a digital comic centered on Dreamfinder that was really popular. Now I didn't 
I just heard about this like a couple months ago. So I don't know, you know, I don't know how you Disney's using that comic or what their intentions were for it or whatever, but I guess it was really popular. And I mean, when the original rides designer is calling the current version, which is supposed to be an improvement on the second version, a sham of an attraction. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we should listen to that guy (laughs) and make it, make it better. Bring it, bring it back. It doesn't have to be exactly how it was, but like you can use those same themes of use, you know, things coming out of your own brain and your own imagination to affect the world around you, which is the story of like every Imagineer. Like, I feel like that original version of that ride is like a tribute to every Imagineer. And now they just made it like fart smells. (laughs) Right. So anyway, our conversation in episode two about this like opened a whole can of worms for me and I have having a lot of feelings about it now. Somebody needs to tag Ron Schneider in this episode and have him work some magic and getting the dream finder back. Yes. Maybe, maybe I could reach out to him and we could talk to him someday. I'm friends with him on Facebook. Stop. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, he has like thousands of friends. I'm sure he, you know, friend, I actually friended him after watching an interview from another podcaster. Cool. Okay. I'm just going to ask you, I don't even care if everybody hears this. Was it WDW radio? Yes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I heard that same interview. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, a great podcast too, by the way. Like we're not, we're not greedy over here. Yeah. Highly recommend WDW radio. So good. Yeah. Um, okay. So that was mine. What's your next one? So since we're in Epcot, I think I'll stick around in Epcot. This is a, it's a small one. It's a short conversation, I guess we'll call it. Actually, I got a couple. I actually have a lot in Epcot actually, now that I'm looking at it. Uh, so I miss American vibe. Do you remember American Vibe? I remember the name. I don't remember what it was or where it was. (laughs) So American Vibe was in um, the American Pavilion. And they are now what everyone knows as the Voices of Liberty. But when it was American Vibe... It was pretty much the same acapella because um, Voice of Liberty, they do acapella. Uh, so American Vibe was acapella. They were an acapella group. They would be in the American Pavilion underneath that dome and with the acapella. And it, they explain how, you know, the voice is going up, that it doesn't ma- matter where you sit in that American Pavilion. You can hear them crystal clear. Um, they had... Uh, cello i believe was the only instrument that they played to kind of give it a little bit of bass um but they would sing songs like lean on me america the beautiful god bless america my absolute all-time favorite thing they sang and i will listen to this all the time is seasons of love 
525,600 minutes. Mm, yep. Um, they, it just, to hear them acapella, like this was the original pitch perfect. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it was essentially minus all the dancing and, and the, the love story of pitch perfect. If you want to call it a love story, um, American vibe was pitch perfect in Disney, 20 minute show. And then you go in and you watch the, the show, but it was just, oh, they're, they're singing. It was amazing. It was so cool. It was such a good show. And not that the voices of Liberty are not good. We do enjoy them. But the American vibe, they wore like a guy and a girl each had red on, another guy and a girl each had blue on, another one had yellow on. Like they had, they were kind of paired off in colors. It was more of a bright and vibrant kind of feel to everything, where the voices of Liberty are more conservative with their costumes. It's more of a costume, if you will. So. I don't know. Go check them out. Um, you can actually listen to their, uh, they have their soundtrack on Amazon Music. So anyone who is an Amazon Prime member, um, you can stream the, the soundtrack. Um, it's V-Y-B-E for anyone who's interested. You will not be disappointed at all. It's, I love that soundtrack. When did they go from American Vibe to Voices of Liberty? Uh, American Vibe was formed in 99, and I don't remember when Voice Celebrity took back over. Okay, I definitely saw them then. Yeah. Like, I, know, I mean, because I was thinking, oh, did I, which one did I see? But they both play in that rotunda, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. But I would have seen them... Before my college program. Yes, you absolutely saw them before the college program. Because I mean, even when I, even when Dan and I went for the first time, because we, I took Dan to Disney for the first time, his first time in 2004. And I remember American Vibe being there then still. Okay. So I don't know exactly. And I tried looking it up to see. Um, if I could find their actual dates of when they were formed to when like they, they stopped and it was, um, it was different, but I could not find anything other than go to Amazon and listen to the CD. I kind of want to listen to the CD. I already own the CD. I just want to know information, (laughs) but I missed that. It was pretty cool. Um, that's a pre-show. That's a good pre-show. This is a good pre-show. Um, I am going (laughs) to go back to the studios to the Hunchback of Notre Dame, a musical adventure, which was a stage show. So this was in the backlot theater, which was behind the streets of America. Um, and it opened June of 1996. It was like a 30-ish minute show. And it just followed the story kind of, I mean, it, it really just followed like the animated feature. So it was the stage show version of the movie, basically, in the way that Beauty and the Beast live on stage is the stage show version of Beauty and the Beast. Um, and it was incredible. Uh, 
so good. Um, they had puppets. There was special effects. Like there was a fire, which could actually be kind of scary for kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the singing was awesome. Like they sang all the songs from the movie, except for I think like one or two songs. Um, I mean, it, it was pretty awesome. I mean, like there was a guy dressed up like Quasimodo, and he would like ring the bell, and they had Esmeralda and Frollo and um, uh, Judge Frollo and just all the different characters from the movie. And it was like very colorful. And I would say it was maybe a little bit more adultish. Like, I don't know that kids loved the hunchback of Notre Dame, the movie. So I don't know that they would have connected as much with the stage show, but as an adult or like an older teenager or an adult, could appreciate like the actual themes of the movie, like accepting who you are and finding your place in the world. But yeah, I loved it. And I think, dare I say, dare I say that I think it was better than the little mermaid show, which is still there. Yeah. I have to agree with that. I I like the little mermaid show, but that she needs an upgrade. She definitely does. Like, now that I've seen what they can do with Finding Nemo, and also, side note, what I've seen that they could do with the Aladdin show at Disneyland, there's a no reason <laughs> that they shouldn't be able to, like, completely refurbish and and just redo that whole show. But I digress. Um yeah, I, I absolutely loved that show. Um, and of course, uh, it it closed in September of 2002. So it had a, a pretty good run, uh, six years, um, mm-hmm. considering all the movies that, you know, came after that they could have, you know, just done it for two years. But it was like popular enough where they got to keep it. But they ended up like they it's funny because after they took the show out the theater just was like empty and they only used it for like special events and stuff so i feel like they used the theater area to um meet lady mcqueen and tomater for a little while probably because it was there for a little while before they tore it down yeah and it was like uh, in front of where um the lights motor action was Yes, and I think they tore it down to put make that attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I mean, again, six year a six year run is pretty good, considering right. all of the all other like incredible movies that came after that. Because they could have ended it and done something that was Toy Story, or but they they kept it going for a while. So yeah, that's a big, big one. I missed that one. That's a good one. So you next. Uh, um, I'll stay at Hollywood Studios for a minute. It's probably on your list. I I will be surprised if this is not on your list. Actually. Oh. Um, I missed the great movie ride. It is not on my list. <laughs> How do you not miss the great movie ride? Oh, guys. So, I mean. The line, the turnstile that you waited was just iconic, and you walk in. And so the Great Movie Ride was there from 1989 until 
2017, August of 17. And it was closed for what is now Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which I have not been on yet. It will be soon. Um, and I get it. It needed an update. But it took you through the movies. And you were part of, you were part of the movies. And, you know, they, I, we've talked about it in the past of some memories I had where there was a shootout. And my sister thought that they were actually shooting. And she scooted down off her seat and sat on the floor because she was afraid. Um, but it just, it took you through all these iconic movies like Casablanca and Wizard of Oz and Indiana Jones. And it was just, I don't know. It it was, it was an iconic attraction that had a very good run, (laughs) a very good run at Hollywood studios, probably one of the longest running attractions that Hollywood studios had. And the end and then you just sit there and you see all the movies that have come and gone that are all part of the Disney franchise because Disney is obviously more than Disney you know it's MGM and and things like Wizard of Oz and and Indiana Jones um but it was just I don't know I I really liked it no I liked it too and you know if we had done like a top 20 it would have been on my list but I Okay. Obviously, we know it's, you know, it used to be called Disney MGM Studios. Very hard. Because Disney and MGM had an agreement with each other, and they were co-sponsoring, if you will, this park. So a lot of the movies were MGM properties. Like, The Wizard of Oz, the, the section where you go through Wizard of Oz and Dorothy is talking... They couldn't even get Disney, even though it was an MGM movie and Disney was obviously like making this park with MGM, they couldn't get the rights to Judy Garland's voice. So they had Liza Minnelli, Judy Garland's daughter, come in and do the voice for the Dorothy in that ride. It was so, there was so much chaos with the behind the scenes like getting that ride together that it if you actually like go online and spend some time looking will blow your mind (laughs) but you know obviously mgm went its separate way they renamed the park to disney's hollywood studios they kept the ride as it was i i love that ride it's it was a great ride. It was getting a little bit sad with some of the animatronics. Um Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah. I will say part of the reason like I could talk about this for probably an hour, but briefly, I kind of go down this kind of like causes a a crescendo for me because part of me thinks why not just close the ride and redo it with all Disney movie things? And I understand that that can be a challenge because you are trying to fit a new ride into an existing track. So which movie is going to work best in this area of the ride and which one's going to work best in this area of the ride? Like that can get really complicated. Right. Um, versus like just designing the ride you want and then building this building the building um you're trying to fit something new into an old like 
building. But anyway, so I partly think, why didn't they just do that? Because the original thing of Disney MGM Studios was to celebrate all entertainment, you know, like TV and and movies and Broadway and like all of these things. And you can see it around the park. We have Broadway shows. We had the backlot tour about the movies and we had things about TV there and, the, you know, the original MGM Studios. And Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, to me, would have made more sense in Magic Kingdom. Like, don't take away Toontown. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, keep most of Toontown instead of changing it into Storybook Circus, which doesn't really make sense to me other than, like, a long time ago when Walt was alive, he really was into circuses. (laughs) So it's like, a, but I'm thinking put Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway in Toontown and like build out Toontown in a different way because the Toontown in Disneyland is like so much better. So like upgrade our Toontown and keep the movie ride as the movie ride where you're paying tribute to movies, but just make them all Disney properties. But that's not what they did. So anyway, I just go through this whole snowball thing of like, yes, it needed to change, but I think they could have kept the spirit of the ride and just, anyway, I, again, I have a lot of feelings about that. It it was a great ride. It is sad too, because that was the last opening day attraction. So that's part of it. It's it's the the whole change thing and the, the nostalgia of it. It it changed the park so much because that was kind of the last. Yeah. You know, now I almost think they should change the name of the park. Right. So like, because it's not studios anymore. It's like Hollywood Lands or Movie Lands or Story Lands. I don't know. It's not a studios anymore. No, it's definitely not. Um, but yeah, so I miss it. I am excited to see Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Everybody says it's awesome. So I'm excited to see it. I just have a lot of feelings about. (laughs) Yeah. This might be one of those areas where I'm like, change sucks. (laughs) Right. What's next on your list? Some of my next ones are weird. Sorry. That's about all I have. I have. Yeah. Mine are. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Concur. Okay. Oh man. I don't know which one to choose next. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to choose a park (laughs) river country. (laughs) (laughs) um so i actually only got to go to river country one time but i remember it so vividly because it was just like what is this place it's so awesome um so river country has a really interesting story and it river country was the first water park that disney ever did and it was the first themed water park in the world. Like in the way, like there were amusement parks before Disneyland existed, but Disneyland changed the game with theming. And it was this, this is the same kind of thing with river country. There were, there's water parks all over the place in the seventies, but none of them are like ultra themed like this one. So Disney again, just, go into the next level. So this thing opened in June 1976. So before I was born um, and was 
put in the Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground area. It was only six acres, so it wasn't that that big at all compared to like Blizzard Beach is like 65, 66 acres. Even Typhoon Lagoon's over 50 acres, so like really small. Um, but it was awesome. It was like themed as like a Tom Sawyer fin swimming hole kind of thing. The interesting thing about this water park, though, was that the water was actually from Bay Lake. So this was not, they did have a pool. They did have a pool there that was, you know, chlorinated or whatever. But most of the area of the park was actually water from that they pumped in from Bay Lake. So they built the water park just a little bit above Bay Lake like level and there was like this weird like rubber bladder thing and they had these pumps they built this mountain they had these pumps in this mountain and they pumped the water from bay lake down these slides which would fill up the swimming hole lagoon area so that water was cold if you went before the like mid-summer time (laughs) it was it was very cold, but they had like rocks and fake boulders to like make it look like this rustic swimming hole. And there was like water slides. There was an inner tube river where you like sit in the inner tube and it's like calm at first. And then there's like white water rapids. There was a barrel bridge, the, the cove area where they were pumping the water in had a sand bottom so it wasn't like concrete, you know, it was nice, felt natural. Um, and there was a tire swing. There was one of those boom swings, like on a ship where it, you know, it's over the ship and then it swings out over the water. There was like a zip line type thing where you slide down this rope and then like fall into the water. There was a kid's section and they had like fake floating alligators. And I, <laughs> I remember seeing that and thinking like, why you put fake floating alligators in the kiddie pool? You're going to scare the crap out of the kids. But yeah, just, and I, it's, I only got to go one time again, but I just happened to go at the exact right time because (laughs) I went in April of 1997 for my high school senior trip. So me and three of my friends, And they had just started this thing called the All-American Water Party, where every day was the 4th of July. (laughs) So they had like Goofy, Goofy was the park mascot. So they had Goofy, Chippendale, Pluto Mini, all dressed up in like American outfits. And it was like plaid, like vests, like Western hoedown kind of outfits. And there was a banjo band that played. And I actually have a picture, which I will post in the group, in the Facebook group, because it deserves to be out there in the light of day, where it's me and one of the banjo band player guys and either Chip or Dale, I can't remember which one. Um, Just, (laughs) I, I almost can't even believe this ever existed, but... Anyway, the park closed in November of 2001 for like just its its regular winter refurbishment 
but then it didn't open back up in 2002, didn't open in 2003, didn't open in 2004. Finally, in early 2005, Disney was like, yeah, we're not going to reopen this park. So, but then the thing about it is, is they didn't do anything to it until 2016. So for what, 11 years, maybe even, maybe if people were still going in there in 2002, three or four, you know, people might've been, but anyway, for at least 11 years, people were like sneaking in and taking pictures of it. So if you go online, you can see like these pictures of this dilapidated water park where like nature's taking back over because they just, they put up a fence around it and like with a sign that said river country is not open today or whatever. And they just never went back in for over a decade. And now they're going to build a DVC resort there called Reflections. So, but I, I loved it. It was so and they had like little trails too because there's like cypress trees and stuff on fort wilderness property and it's like it's part of it was part of fort wilderness so there was like walking trails and there was like a picnic area you were allowed to bring your own food just kind of just a chill day and i it, it seems like i get that because it was natural water, maybe they just didn't want to deal with that anymore. Maybe they, it would have cost too much to upgrade the pumps. But in my mind, I'm thinking that would have been really cool. That'd be really cool to have now as like a resort guest there. Yeah. To like have own water park. I mean, Yacht and Beach Club has Stormalong Bay. So I don't, you know, because they could have said, you know, if you're staying at Fort Wilderness Resort in like the campground, you can just go there and then maybe if other resort guests wanted to go, they could just charge like a nominal fee per person. But yeah, no, they shut it down, but it was crazy. And the, the rides, the, the slides were kind of rough too. Like you, they were way faster than the slides at Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard beach. Like, just they were a little bit rougher and some of the slides like it would like drop you off and you know most of the slides at typhoon lagoon and stuff when you come off the chute you can stand up in the pool a pool the water's only like three maybe four feet deep some of these were like you couldn't touch the ground when you came off the slide (laughs) so kids had to like be kind of a good swimmer to get to the part where you could touch the ground yeah it was it was a free-for-all we were tougher kids maybe (laughs) yeah that's the definite i don't think i ever went to river country i don't remember ever going well you missed out especially on the all-american water party (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm i i think i just I was, even though I was a senior in high school, I was the young one in the group. But we, I was 17. My friends were all 18. So it's not like I was a little kid. Right. If I was a little kid, I would have lost my mind even more. But it was just, you can, it's just choose your own adventure. You can just, and I think kids now would love it because it's, you just, you can just go out to the rope swing and you can just go out to the tire swing. and Right. 
you just play. It's not, you know, it's not wait in line necessarily for everything. But again, yeah, it was small. It was only six acres. And, you know, once Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach opened up, it was kind of no point in keeping that one around. So, but I do kind of miss it because it was just, I don't know, easy and relaxing and weird and (laughs) nostalgic, I guess. Yeah. Nice. What do you have next on you? We're we're coming down to the last. We're to the end, yeah. I'm looking. I'm trying to figure out if I want to go something that's huge, that's completely just non-existent, like River Country, or my corny one. I think I'm going to go corny first. So, from 1996 to 2017, Epcot had this attraction called Ellen's Energy Adventure. It was a 45-minute show, and basically it was just a way to look at the various energy resources and how energy was produced and how it started with the dinosaurs and and that, and it was a history lesson, but I will be 100% honest with everybody, that is not why I'm choosing this. I'm choosing this as something that I miss because everybody knows Disney tired. Everyone who has been to Disney knows that By 5 o'clock, you just need a nap. And Ellen's Energy Adventure was the best 45-minute nap I got on my trips. Because I have never, and I now will never have a chance to, I have never seen the entire thing. I have never experienced the entire thing. I fell fell asleep every single time on it. It was a great, your air condition, it was a perfect nap. And that's why I miss it. Because there's nothing in Epcot anymore that I can get a good nap on. (laughs) <laughs> i told you 41 but it was like it was cool it was you know i remember the beginnings and it, it it did teach a good you know a good lesson and that was what epcot was all about was you know teaching different things they had interventions which interventions is also on my list but that's gone but you know it was epcot was a whole learning experience thing where you went from imagination you went to to interventions and learning, you know, you could build a, your own roller coaster and then and then be in the roller coaster. And then they had this energy adventure where um, you're learning about solar power and hydraulic hydroelectric power and everything. And I don't know, I miss it because of the nap. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no, it is. I know it's 100% terrible, but it's a stinking truth. It was so comfortable. <laughs> I didn't want to leave the park to go take a nap. <laughs> but no, for real my, my for real one though at, at Epcot though is uh is an event is interventions. And they the one thing I really remember in interventions, because they, they had everything. They had East interventions east to west. And um I we actually still have I was going through stuff which side note, I found going through stuff the other day, I found my leave a legacy things that you get the pictures so i had my original locations of where they were i found those when i was going through stuff but i also found my sum of all thrills card which you got this card and you got to actually build a roller coaster and then you go and you sit in this like virtual reality tumbler basically and experience the roller coaster that you just built and i know disney is going to be doing all this amazing things with epcot and I'm really, really, really looking forward to all the new things that is to come at Epcot because it is actually one of my favorite parks. But I really miss the original between East and West and everything that 
it had to learn. It was a cool place to go. Even as adults, it was cool to go and do. Yeah, and I think that's what's meant to be part of the Epcot play section, mm-hmm. which hopefully we're still getting in its entirety. I hope so. Well, I threw two in there. No, that's okay. Since you were sleeping through but one of them. That- I know, right? <laughs> Anyone who had a nap there, you had to tell me if I'm wrong. Um, that's all I have left at Epcot, though. I don't have... Mm, I had Tapestry of Nations. I did miss that parade. I have that. I had that, too. I It wasn't part of my top ten. Yeah. It's, um, but it it's definitely... Uh, it's definitely, like, on my list. I, I, I actually wish that they would bring something back like that, but... Yeah. Yeah. I am going to go to my other really big one that's tied with Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Yeah. And it is the Adventurers Club. I knew you were going to say that. That's on my list, too. All of Pleasure Island's on my list. Yeah, I was like, I I actually initially wrote down Pleasure Island, and then I was like, wait a minute. If I would go right now, would I go to Mannequins? No. no. Would I go to 8-Tracks? No. Would I go to the Beach Club? No. I oh, wouldn't go to any of those places that were fun when I was in my early 20s. And I think that that was probably part of the reason that they ditched it. Because, I mean, you know what it looked like when we left every night. There was cops everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. (laughs) Um, But there were some places on Pleasure Island specifically that I would have kept. And where I would love for them to come back. Um, And Adventurers Club is one of them. So this glorious thing opened on May 1st, 1989. And it has a big, glorious, beautiful backstory, which we'll probably have to do an episode on its own at some point in the future. But it was styled after a basically like a private explorers club. It was set in the 1930s. It had animatronics and puppets and there was like a cast there who perform shows and like improvisational kind of like comedy and they mingled with the people in the club so the the sort of quick crash course backstory is pleasure island like the overall pleasure island which used to be where disney springs is now had you know the previous owner this is not a real person Meriwether Adam Pleasure built the Adventurers Club as a library and museum for his collection of books and artifacts and as a place to entertain his fellow explorers and adventurers so that's kind of like the the backstory so the crazy thing like it's so hard to explain the Adventurers Club because it's like so weird and quirky and like deep cut Disney legend, like mythology stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically you would go into this club. So you enter the club into this thing called the zebra mezzanine, which is this balcony. You can look down into like the main 
parlor. So you're kind of entering on the second floor and it's full of like photographs and artifacts from, you know, explorers and adventurers. I mean, some of them are real people. Like there was a photo of uh, Teddy Roosevelt in there. So they're like meshing characters that they made up with real life people. Um, so you would walk into that top, that top floor and then you would go down into the main salon. There was like a bar and like a little stage where the cast, AKA the explorers would like, do little shows they would do like new member induction ceremonies because like when you go into the club you're going in as a guest and you're you're going to try to become a member of the adventurers club Mm -hmm. and they had like all these weird rooms like there was a mask room and it only held like 40 people but the masks would like move like their eyes would move and there was two masks that talked yep and they had a treasure room that had some other, like, there was, like, a genie in a bottle thing. And uh, there was a big room that was the library, because, again, this is uh, Pleasure's library and museum. And that's where they did, like, the big shows. But it was, it w- there was always something different going on. So they would bounce around. There, would, there were shows happening in one room after another, after another. And it was, there wasn't really a schedule. So you might walk in and the cast, the cast interacted with all of the people in the club. Mm-hmm. So it was like street atmosphere, you know, like the street atmosphere that you would get at um, Hollywood studios, but in a building and it constantly. So it yeah. was, it was just this whole experience and it you almost didn't even feel like you were on Pleasure Island because it was so themed and so authentic to what the story was that they were trying to convey to people that it it just it like was so immersive like you could if you were into it, like this is one of those places, like some people went in there and they were like, I don't get it. And they left after 10 minutes. It was too weird for them. Yeah. The people who did get it, you could go in there at, you know, eight 30 thinking you're just going to go in and grab a drink and not leave until one or two in the morning. Right. Yeah. Cause it was like, there's something going on in the mask room. So you go over there and then, you know, all of a sudden the cast is like yelling something from the balcony. So you, you, you go out to see what they're doing and then they're doing, you know, quote unquote, new member induction. And they're teaching everybody the, the club song and the club creed and the, (laughs) the club motto. (laughs) Important questions to you are, do you remember the motto? Or I should say, Um, do you remember the club? Do you remember the club greeting? uh, I think I, I get them all confused. Like, I know the, the like secret thing, like the Kungaloosh thing, like where you Kungaloosh. wave you your hand in front of your belly and then you do the fake drink. And then hand to the hand above your head, scream Kungaloosh. Kungaloosh, yes. <laughs> do you remember the song? The song. Uh, March, was like, along we, March, yeah, we're adventurers singing a song. Adventures. Up, up or down. Down. 
North, South, East, North, or South, West. South, East, West, and Adventurer's Life is Best. Congaloosh. <laughs> Congaloosh. I just have to do yeah. the salute. Do the salute with it. Yes, I still remember it. Still say Congaloosh. Still do the salute. That was fun. But, That's a good time. You're right, though. Like, you could spend hours in there. So, and I kind of picture, so anyone who doesn't know about it, my comparison, if you will, and kind of hear me through this one, because it's going to make sense, sort of. So, anyone who's been to Magic Kingdom and has done the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor, picture the Adventurers Club as a very adult version of that, but a lot more theming. Right. Because so and I kind of compare it like that because Monsters Inc. Left Floor like gets the audience involved. They they pick the you're that guy or like they get the audience involved at, at that at, at Monsters Inc. And that's how I kind of feel like the Adventures Club was where they would get people involved sometimes like they would call people on stage. Right. Like, do you get my comparison? Is it kind of. No, yeah, totally. Uh, because when you walked into that place, you immediately became fodder <laughs> yeah. uh, for someone to pick on or converse with. Like you became part of the show. Absolutely. Truly in a way that you were not part of the show anywhere else because they, because there were so many actors. That's the thing or characters if you will explorers and adventurers there were so many of them right so the cast is walking around there there's like 10 of them you know and then like the bartender's involved and then there's like an animatronic colonel and he's like talking to people so you could easily be part of the show so yeah and i don't mean that in a way that like you're getting called up on stage i'm talking like the simplest way to put it is you go to a bar and there's actors there and they're, they're walking around and they're having conversations with you in their character. So you're talking to, you know, Pamela Perkins and she is in a, you know, a member of the club and it's the 1930s. So she's talking to you like you're a, a new member of the club yeah. It's 1930. So they're going to make fun of your clothes. They're going to make fun of your hairstyle. They're going to ask you questions like, you know, oh, you've been, you know, like dating before you got married in the 30s was a lot different. So like if you were a couple, they might make innuendos about certain things. And <laughs> it was just, so, that's why you could spend hours in there because there was people coming and going and there was different shows and different skits and different scenarios happening throughout the night. It was not a repeating thing. Like they didn't do, okay, this, this, you know, ABC show is not happening at eight 30, 10 30 and 12 30. No ABC show happens once tonight because there's seven other shows that are also going to happen. They're just right. one right after another. Yeah. And, it was so immersive. And oh, I should also mention, like, this is super important. Joe Rohde's hands are on this. <laughs> oh, 100%. Um, so Joe Rohde and Roger Cox were, were kind of like the, the master planners and designers of this whole thing. And it's tied into Disney's very own secret society 
this, this is real, guys. This is a real thing <laughs> called the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, or you'll see it called SEA for short, with members of the Adventurers Club also being members of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, including the, you know, backstoried owner of this place, Meriwether Adam Pleasure, also part of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. So this ties into, you'll see SEA references on the Jungle Cruise, um, on Disney Cruise Line at Alani. You'll see it in Skipper Canteen at Magic Kingdom. You'll see it, um, uh, the Tower of Terror in Tokyo Disney. Um, literally, uh, Mystic Manor, um, in Hong Kong, like literally the whole world of Disney parks and resorts is encompassed in society of explorers and adventurers. So, and now they're going to do a show. Did you hear? They just announced. Yeah. They're doing a a show. So I do not know if they're using like existing characters that we know as being part of society of explorers and adventurers or if they're making up new characters i'm not sure but all of these things are connected you guys like big thunder mountain railroad like they're all connected into this weird like again this is deep cut total like disney fandom hardcore geek stuff (laughs) um yeah, this this is like this and Mr. Toad's Wild Ride are like my big two. But yeah, this 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 shut down uh September of two thousand eight and it's a sad day. Yeah, so sad. Making they were making way for Disney Springs, but part of the tie-in with the SEA is actually they took props from the Adventurers Club. And have sent them all over the world. So you will see props and, and references to the Adventurers Club at all of the Disney resorts and parks across the world. So it's, it's fun. It's a fun Disney lore that if you're just starting to go to Disney or, you know, getting into Disney, you don't necessarily, this might not be on your radar, but for people who are frequenters and they've been going for a long time, this is like just another level of fun. Like this just goes way beyond hidden Mickey's. <laughs> way beyond, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they could have kept it. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. They could have kept it. Yeah. You know, I can understand like a dance club, like you want to get rid of all those dance clubs because it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But like we have Raglan Road and like all these places you can go out for drinks. Right. So there's no reason that they couldn't have kept just this themed yeah. bar. By far. Of all, of all the, everywhere that was at Pleasure Island, this was the best one by far. And I mean, they like... And I like the other, th- I will say the other thing at Pleasure Island that I liked just to kind of piggyback on this is I really did. I, I'm going back to the whole parade thing again. I liked the nighttime parade that they did at Pleasure Island. Like at midnight, they did a whole big like midnight celebration and there was a huge parade and it was like a fun, just end to your night. It wasn't a normal parade. It did not have Mickey and Minnie. It was an adult parade. I mean, this is an adult 
place that we're at. The guests, there were kids there, but it was just a kind of Mardi Gras themed parade, if you will. But it was a fun, just dance on the street kind of thing. I, I had fun with that too. Yeah, that one was cool. The, the Mardi Gras parade. Yeah. And they, they did the uh, New Year's every night. New Year's yeah. Eve every night. Yeah. 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 This, this is one of those Adventurers Club is one of those like actual literal tears to lose it. Because it was so incredibly well done and yeah. so immersive in a way that I, you, I mean, I haven't done Rise of the Resistance, and I know that's supposed to be ultra immersive, but this was never the same experience twice. No, it was not. There was no script. No. Very improv. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, what's your next one? Uh, (laughs) All right, so... All right, I'm going to go for it. Paper Fast Passes. I miss Paper Fast Passes. Right now, the Fast Pass system is non-existent because of the times we're in. There is no Fast Passes, period. So anyone who's listening to this, planning to go to Disney, just know that... There's no fast passes. We don't know when they're coming back. Prior to no fast passes, before pandemic times, um, you had to plan your days 60 days in advance. You had to know what time you were going to get to the park. You had to plan your fast passes, hope that you got a good fast pass, and that was it. Before electronic 60-day fast passes, Disney had these paper fast pass kiosks. And let me tell you, it made for spontaneous trips because it didn't matter what park you went to. You basically had to run to the park, whatever park you were going to. If you wanted, like, let's say, Flight of Passage at Animal Kingdom, okay? Because that is one of those attractions that has this huge, you want a fast pass for it because it's always a two-hour line. If you wanted a fast pass for Flight of Passage, you had to get to the park when it opened. And as soon as rope dropped, you had to bolt to Flight of Passage. And you had to stand in this line at these little kiosks. You had to insert your card because back then there were no magic bands. It was a card. You had to insert everybody's card. So basically one person, as soon as you go in, like you, if you're in a family of five, like, I would say, okay, everyone get, we go in, everyone give me your card. I'm going to bolt over, put in one card at a time, and you get one paper fast pass per person. And it tells you as you're going up, it says redemption times are between nine and 10 now. So if you were like two hours late, you might not be returning until seven or eight o'clock, but you would go. And then that was it. That was your fast pass. You can go do whatever you wanted. You could go wait in line. And on the bottom of the fast pass, it said, you, you know, you can redeem this fast pass between the hours of nine and 10 and you can get your second fast pass. You can get another fast pass at eight fifty. So there was only one fast pass at a time. That was it. So you were waiting in line, but your day was spontaneous. So it didn't matter what you did. You just knew the one thing you wanted to go do a fast pass for. And then that was it. And it just made, I don't know, it, it made for a more, I, I'm going to say it again, it made for a more spontaneous trip. Um, and then, then 
you find out some people knew about a trick and not all of them did this, but you could, because there was always cast members around, right? So they're standing there because they know about this button, but on the back of the machine, there was a button. And if you press the button, it releases fast passes. So I can't tell you how many times we'd like stand against the machine, like, distracting and talking to one of you know talking to each other and just one of us sitting back there like pressing the button trying to get a couple extra fast passes out but yeah scammer (laughs) i I am i fully admit it absolutely everyone did it um but yeah it was just it was a one fast pass that was it and then you couldn't get another one for a while so picture if you will anyone anyone who has been to disneyland the way that they do it now it is electronic in Disneyland, but, and you have to be in the park before you can get a fast pass, but it's all on your phone. But the way that the Disneyland fast pass works where you have to be in the park and then you go through and you get one fast pass and then you can get a second one after a certain time. So even though Disneyland is all electronic on your phone, the way that they do it, it essentially is the paper fast pass system just in a mobile device day of idea. I would take that at Disney World. Like, give me that. That's fine. I, I can handle doing it on my phone. Not a big deal. But I don't like the 60-day thing. I really don't. I'm, I'm 100% okay with going to Disney. When I go next month, I am 100% okay with waiting in lines and not having a fast pass. Because it'll be spontaneous. I can go whatever I want, whenever I want. I don't have to rush. I don't have to plan my day and saying, oh, man, we can't go and wait in line for an hour because our fast pass is in, you know, 45 minutes. And then if we're in line too long and we miss our fast pass, then we take it on the ride. So I miss the paper fast passes. Again, I commend you on inserting <laughs> that as a an extinct attraction. I that it's a good lead in because I agree. I, I always felt that way since they started doing this fast pass reservation thing that it should be like Disneyland where when you go in the park, then you can get your fast pass and it's fine if it's electronic. I just think you should be in the park and I don't think that Disney world will go back to that because no, we're you know we're switched to what Disneyland is doing because they're doing this thing now that looks like it's going to be permanent with the park reservation. Yes. So, yeah, but I, I you're right. I miss because you could wake up on Tuesday and say, I think we'll do the studios today, and then you go to the studios, and then what do you feel like doing tomorrow? I don't know we'll figure it out in the morning. And then the next morning you wake up and say, eh, let's go over to the magic kingdom. And you, you know, but now you have to know well right. before you even land in Orlando, what park right. you're going to what day. And like, you know, you're kind of SOL if you picked, you know, to go to animal kingdom on Tuesday and that's the day it's going to rain all day. Yeah. <laughs> Well, now you're just at Animal Kingdom in the rain when you could have been at Epcot, bouncing from pavilion to pavilion and like not getting completely soaked. Mm-hmm. Because you, if you, you, I mean, you can leave Animal Kingdom, but then you just out a park ticket, which is 
trash. So, you know, it's, it does make it a challenge for planning. And I totally agree that I miss the paper fast passes or at least that system of you have to be in the park. Right. Right. To get the fast pass for that park. Like you can't, you get it that day. I, it's so funny because I, now, I mean, I, when, when fast passes were a thing, it was one thing I, I don't want to say not prided, but it was one thing that I offered to any of my clients was if you need, because I, the fast pass system that Disney is now, there's a whole technique to it. Like you have to know, you have, you have to start in a certain area. And if you want to do like Buzz Lightyear and Space Mountain, like you're going to make sure that you do those two things together and get those as close as possible together because your fast pass goes from nine to 10 on Buzz Lightyear. And then you try and get 10 to 11 on Space Mountain because that way you don't have to ride Buzz Lightyear until 10 o'clock when your fast pass is up. And as soon as you get off of it, you're not wasting time. You're already at your next thing. Like it's a whole system. Like it is a calculated day that you have to think about, right? Like you, and, and a lot of people don't think about those kind of things, but to me, time is money. You want to make sure that you're not wasting time. And I texted because I'm going to Disney um, the second the second weekend in May. I'm going with my sister-in-law and my niece. And I texted her at our 60-day mark. And I said, how nice was it? Because her and I are, whenever we would do family trips, her and I would be the two to like, all right, I'll get these three days. You get three these three days. And we're going to go in and we're going to bust out our fast passes. That how nice was it waking up this morning and not having to rush online to try and figure out our weekend? Like it was actually, I was, I'm 100% okay with it. And yeah, because you're just gonna go and see what happens. Are you guys gonna get a touring plan? I haven't decided yet. As of right now, probably not. But I don't know. Yeah, I miss, I miss, I miss that system. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So wait, how many did I do so far? eight yeah oh my gosh I only have a couple left like they're all little things that are you know not a trick okay yeah (laughs) I have um (laughs) no I have uh so kind of following up my adventurers club one yeah uh, the other place that I felt like they could have kept that I really loved at Pleasure Island was the comedy warehouse Yes. Which was right across from the Adventurers Club, actually. And this was just a really cool comedy place. Like, uh, it was improv comedy. So they, you, you would walk in and it was like this theater and there was like a small bar in front of you. So, you know, it was like movie theater kind of seats and stools and stuff. And then there was like a bar in front of you. So you could like set your drink down and the stage was down in the center and they would come out and, you know, there was these phones on the wall at the end of each row and they would call a phone and they'd ask you like, give me a color or give me a profession, give me a name, whatever. And they would use those things to do a skit and they were good. Like they were, I'm, Improv comedy can be kind of a train wreck if the people are not very good. Like it can get kind of boring, but I was never bored. 
they were funny every time. Some shows were better than others, but I always thought that it was a good show and worth the time to be there. And there was some times where it was like hardcore belly laughing. Like if you got a good crowd, like I usually like to go to that place a little bit later, like closer to midnight (laughs) (laughs) more towards the end of the night as opposed to earlier in the night, because the crowds would be a little bit rowdier and like, just, I don't know if it was like the, if there, an expanded imagination from the adult beverages <laughs> so people could give better suggestions or what. But I loved that place. And I feel like, again, maybe the dance clubs don't make sense, but this place, a comedy place, makes, I, th- I think they could have kept it. It was one of my favorite places to go, especially when you don't want to listen to loud music or dance or whatever, and you just kind of want to sit down and be entertained. It was so much fun. Yeah, that was a good place. Okay, what's next on your list? Mickey and Minnie's house at Magic Kingdom. You used to be able to walk inside Mickey and Minnie's house. Like, Mickey had a house, Minnie had a house. You could walk in and walk through Mickey's kitchen and see his bed, and at the foot of his bed had his huge shoes, and it was just, there was nothing to do, it was just a place to walk through, but, like, I look at it now, and, like, that would be something that James would love, to walk in and look inside Mickey's fridge, and see where Mickey sleeps, and his backyard, like, it was just, it was a cute little something to do back there. Again, I go back to my whole thing with the movie ride and like there's a train station. I mean, there's a train at Magic Kingdom like they could have got rid of Donald's boat and, you know, (laughs) I know they could have at least kept Mickey's house. Right. Exactly. Well, it could have been Mickey's Toontown Fair. So like if you need to make space, you know, get rid of some of the stuff there, they could have. I mean, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, there's like a train right there. Maybe they didn't want to associate (laughs) the train that goes around the park with a runaway railroad road. I don't know, but uh, yeah, but again, the, I guess if you can't expand the location, right, then it's not going to work. And yeah, maybe that maybe it's a better use as a circus now. I don't, I don't know, but. I don't, I don't know. I, it was some, I mean, and there was nothing to do in there. Like there was no characters in there. It's not like you can meet Mickey in there or anything like that. Like it was literally a way to just funnel people into a different area for a little bit of time. Is all it was. It, I do think it, you know, like you said though, for your, for your son, like I'd love to take my nephew in there. Cause it, it was really interactive. You could touch everything. Yeah. You, know, you could open the fridge and you could, yep. So it's kind of fun when you just want your kid to kind of, I mean, they're watching that on TV, right? They're watching Mickey oh, Mouse yeah. Clubhouse. And, yep. Mickey and the Roads to Racers. Yeah. So. Yeah, I do kind of miss it too. But I don't, you know, maybe adding the extra Dumbo and, I mean, we still have Barnstormer, so that's something. Yeah. But yeah, I feel that. I don't know what to choose for my 
for my last one because we did say 10 and I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I well, might honorably mention some on my way out. <laughs> yeah, I have I have two left, but neither one of them are attractions and they're very quick to talk about. So okay. Two, do your two. All right. Well, I have to kind of go back again to Epcot and say the living seas. Now, I know we have the seas with Nemo and friends, and I I do enjoy this ride very much. And like I've said in previous episodes, I think it's it's great for kids and it gets them interested. I mean, not that they wouldn't be interested. I think every kid standing in an aquarium is interested, but it makes it more relatable, I guess, because they've already attached themselves to these characters. But The original Living Seas was like, I feel like it was just more of an experience because you were kind of led from from station to station. They had this big pre-show. You watch this pre-show and they talk about like the formation of the earth and how the seas came to be. And then you get in a quote, you know, the Hydrolator, which is just a Disney elevator. It looks like it's going down to the bottom of the ocean, but it's not. It's just, it's not even moving. <laughs> but it, it would like shake like you were going down to the bottom of the ocean. There was those little windows that had the bubbles going up. So it looks like you're going down, down, down. And then you get off and you get in your sea cab and you, which is part of what Nemo is now. And you kind of ride through this tunnel and then the the aquarium's there and then you get off and you're in sea base alpha and it's like the whole the whole story from start to finish like we're going to go down to the bottom of the ocean to the sea base and you're going to get to watch the fish be all around you and the whole like after after the elevator part where just I, I feel like the whole like thing of going down in the hydro later is what I really miss because it like puts you there, like what it could be like to go to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like this ride attraction more than maybe any other one like shaped my life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just and and I I also feel like there was more in the actual sea base. Like there's a lot there now. I mean, they have you know, the turtle talk with Crush and but it, I don't maybe maybe it could just be because I was a kid and I didn't know anything and now I'm an adult and I'm like, yeah, I know all this stuff. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I was studying it, but I I just loved it so much. I I really enjoyed it. And they when they switched it over to Nemo, I was like kind of excited because I do like I do like finding Nemo, but I do I do miss that whole mindset of you're going like you're a scientist. I think that's what it was. It was like now you're kind of just watching the show happen around you. It doesn't I know they make you they try to make you feel like you're, you know, you're riding the EAC and all of that when you're in your little shell going through the ride. But when they're showing you the video from the original Living Seas and then they put you in the elevator, like 
you're like a scientist. It's you're the scientist and you're going to the bottom of the ocean and you're going to study all these fish. Well, my seven and 17 year old and 20 whatever year old self was all about that. So I, I'm, I'm going to use that as my last one. I missed the original version. I, I don't know that I would change it back, but it would be cool if there was like an, a fifth part where like you could just go there sometimes right. <laughs> to ride the old ride. Yeah. <laughs> like do a virtual reality park. Pick your, yeah. you know. Like when you're feeling nostalgic and you just, you yeah. just need to go on it one more time, then you can go over to this other park. <laughs> yeah. But, all right. So I got two. One's corny and it's super whatever. Um, and it's not an attraction. Disclaimer, not an attraction. Um, back in the early 90s, the soap in the bathroom was this powdered pink Borax soap. It was awesome. It was the best soap ever. We would actually go and get bags like ask the cashiers for an empty like gift bag and take the pink soap home totally would never be allowed now what's in the bag why do you have a powdered substance in your bag uh it's soap from disney but that was cool soap anyways um that's just one of my corny ones that was cool to have my real one though is uh i guess kind of an attraction but kind of not is riding up front on the monorail if you were lucky when you got up to the monorail landing, you could ask the cast member if you could ride up front and they would only allow a family of four or less to do it. Um, and we actually got lucky a couple times because when we went the first couple times, we were so little. So they let us go the five of us, but um, you actually got to be in the front with the pilot and you got an amazing view of the monorail. Like it's, you were right up front. You got to see everything. And at the end, you got a co-pilot license that you got your co-pilot on the monorail. Um, and unfortunately, in 2009, they stopped doing this because of an accident between the pink and purple monorails. But man, that was just cool. It was a whole nother experience. It was, it was like being able to ride in the cockpit of an airplane. Like it was just it was really cool. They would talk to you. You could hear everything going on. It was neat. It was different. Yeah, but. that's a good one. Yeah, I missed I I missed that too because I definitely try to get my nephew up there. Yeah, it's not an option anymore. Obviously, you can still ride the monorail. Right. You just can't ride up front. And I mean, there were times that like we would go and do it. And they're like, oh, somebody's already, you know, asked to ride in the front. We're like, that's okay. We'll wait for the next monorail. And we would wait for another 10 minutes till the next one came to ride, to be able to ride in the front. Like, we're in no rush. We'll wait. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really cool. I and, have... of course, my dad videotaped oh. it. <laughs> oh, good. Cool. Of course. Of course he did. What were you going to say? And did you ride it from the resort to Magic Kingdom or? Yes. No, from Magic Kingdom back to our resort. Okay. Either way, still cool. Yeah. Yeah. We did mention Tapestry of Nations. Yes. Which was kind of like honorable mentions. Yeah. Jam and Jungle uh, Jam and Jungle Parade in Animal Kingdom was on my honorable mention list. 
Really? Yeah. I liked it. It was cute. It was fun. It was cute and it was fun when you were not doing crowd control as a cast <laughs> member and having people tell you how you ruined their vacation because you wouldn't just let them run across the pathway in between the floats. So want to hear something funny? You want to know how this one made it on my list? Because I forgot all about it when I was going through stuff. I found a picture I took of you doing crowd control and there's like bubbles all in front of your face. I'm like, I forgot about that parade. Yep. I have a picture of you in your shorts and your costume at Animal Kingdom. No way. Are you serious? Yep. I need to see this photo. I will find it and take a picture and send it to you after we hang up. Okay. (laughs) I meant to to send it to you the other day, but I was going through stuff and I didn't have my phone on me when I was doing stuff. So I couldn't snap a picture of it. And I didn't want to lose it or forget where I put it. So I just put it back where it was. But yep. I also, another audible mention I had was the uh, magic of Disney's animation at Hollywood Studios before they turned it all into Star Wars. Yep. That was one of mine too that I was just going to say. That was really cool. It taught you how to do animation. There was a part where they would show you how to draw a character. Yep. And you could see animators actually doing work. That's the part. Uh, The part about being able to draw, they actually do offer that again now at animal kingdom. Oh, cool. That's cool. And they had, I remember walking through there and there was like this wall of paint. It was like all these different paint colors. Yes. Um, And I don't know if this was there the entire time, but I know a bunch of the times when I went through, they had seer cells from Sleeping Beauty, like the portion of the movie where her dress is changing color. And like Sleeping Beauty is my original Disney princess. Like I had one of those sing read like hear sing read whatever book books as a kid and it had like a corresponding little vinyl record so you could like put the record on and then like go through the book and it was sleeping beauty and i mean i was like we're talking like really little kid like four five six years old and so i was obsessed with sleeping beauty she was like my favorite princess until Basically, Ariel came, and then, like, two years later, Ariel got knocked off the pedestal for Belle. <laughs> but right. I do. I still have a s- sweet spot in my heart for Sleeping Beauty. And when I saw those, I was like, I should have brought a bigger purse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really love going through that attraction. And I... I mean, when, of course, when you also look into the history of the park, that it was meant to be a working studio, they they did animation there backstage for Mulan, Lilo and Stitch, like mm-hmm. a bunch of movies, you know. Um, so it's, again, it's like you lost the great movie ride, which was supposed to represent all the movies. And this was the one thing that was kind of representing animation in the Hollywood Studios Park. But 
Yeah, now then it was like Star Wars Launch Bay, and I don't even know what's there now. No, it's still that. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I do understand them letting it go. Uh, it wasn't necessarily... If you went every year, you probably were not going to go through that tour every year. Right. But I do feel like they could have changed it in a way to show you like the evolution of animation or the most recent thing that just came out like behind the scenes making of something something but i guess they have all these shows on disney plus now so it's like don't even need to do anything with an attraction for that yeah and the cool the one thing i really liked about when you did the actual animation class um, and this is, I, I don't, I honestly don't know if they'll still do this with the one at animal kingdom. Cause I have not been to that one yet, but if you would be the first one in the room, you could get up to the animator and ask them if you can have the picture that they draw after the class and they would actually autograph it and you could take their picture home that they drew. Oh man. Now yeah. I need to go back. So, so <laughs> need to go back to like 1994 and do that. <laughs> I don't see why they wouldn't at Animal Kingdom, but if if anybody goes up and does the Animal Kingdom one, a I'd love to know if they do it. Um, and you just like I said, you have to be the first one in the room, or at least the first one to know to ask, and you just ask the animator, "Hey, can I have your picture after the class?" And usually they will say yes, and they'll give you. And I mean, theirs is going to be. Theirs is always way better than yours. <laughs> I don't care yeah. how, good, how good you are. Theirs is better than yours. And uh, yeah, so we have some pretty cool pictures. We've drawn like Piglet and Goofy and uh, I forget who else I've drawn, but yeah. So. And my other honorable mention was Maelstrom. Yeah, that was one of mine. My last one was uh, the snorkeling at Typhoon Lagoon. Oh yeah, shark reef. Shark reef. Yes. Mel- yeah, that I actually looked that up because I was trying to remember when it closed, and it actually closed in 2016, which is later than I thought. In my yeah. mind, I was thinking 2013, but no, it's 2016. But yeah, I do. I like the frozen ride. I do like the frozen ride too. I but do. When I'm thinking about. World Showcase and putting Disney IP in World Showcase. Changing Rio del Tiempo to the Grand Fiesta Tour with the Three Caballeros is okay because, like, especially if you look at the actual history of like how the Three Caballeros got made and like why it got made, like Walt was you know, in, in deals with like the Mexican government, South American government, like anyway, <laughs> there's a whole backstory, but so it makes sense because it's still talking about South America and Mexico and the traditions and things. They've just kind of like inserted the three caballeros into it, which was kind of their purpose in the first place. But and, and the same thing with we're going to add Ratatouille in France. It makes sense, right? It's about a rat who loves cooking. If you're thinking about fine dining and cuisine in all of the cities of the world, you're thinking Paris, London, um, Rome, like big cities, right? So it makes sense. Like it's still, 
And I feel like with Frozen, <laughs> they took away all of Norway. Yeah. Like, I know there's trolls. I feel like they could have used the trolls from Frozen and made a set, like, a, made a whole other story. Like, their story. Like, they could have used the trolls from Frozen to tell the story of Norway. So yeah. you still have that Frozen tie-in, but you'd have more of the actual, like, realness, I guess, of, Nor like, the mythology of Norway, which was what Maelstrom was. But they didn't ask me what I thought. So we just have frozen, um, but it is cute. But you know what I loved was at the end of the ride, when you come into that fishing city, that fishing village where you get off the ride. Yeah. I remember like just being like, man, I want to go to Norway if it looks like right. this. <laughs> yeah. So now that Maelstrom isn't there anymore, I'm going to have to go to Norway for real. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I had on my list. Yeah, that's all I got. Cool. Okay. Well, I'm super curious. So we went through like, I don't know how many rides, basically every ride that used to be at Disney, that's not there anymore. We talked about it. No, <laughs> no. but I am curious, um, you guys that were listening, what Walt Disney world attractions do you miss? Um, were any of the ones we mentioned on your list, I would love to know. So go over to our Facebook group and, you know, tell us which ones are, you know, your, your top three or your top five, or if you have to, your top 10 WDW attractions that you miss. Uh, I'd love to see them. And I'll, I'll, uh, even, I'll even veto Dawn and say that you can add in food that you miss too. Yes. But I, I mean, sometimes. Food is an attraction. <laughs> um, well, an attraction is simply something that attracts us, and food right. attracts me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go over to the group and let us know what you are missing, and we will talk to you guys again soon. And I can't wait to see what you tell us. Yes. <laughs> I think it's so funny that you were like, I know which one you were going to say first. <laughs> I knew you were. That's a wrap on this episode. Thanks so much for riding the red line with us. Thanks to my guest, Katie Fisher from Pictures and Postcards Travel. If you're heading to the Disney parks or looking at booking a Disney cruise or Adventures by Disney experience, Katie can help you get the best prices and discounts along with custom planning and itineraries all at no cost to you. You can find her online at picturesandpostcardstravel.com, on Facebook and Instagram at picturesandpostcardstravel, or you can email her directly at kfisher at nyaaa.com. Now that you've had a listen, we invite you to join our Main and Magic Friends community on Facebook to share your thoughts about the episode. You're welcome to pop in to share an idea, story, or photo and connect with other Disney fans. You can also ask questions, get and give advice, post updates from the parks, and just have fun. Head to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Main and Magic to join. If you've got a comment or a question, you can also email me at mainandmagic at gmail.com, and you can find us on Instagram at mainandmagic. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share it out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening, and of course, in the Disney tradition, around here we don't like to say goodbye, so we say, see you real soon!